the Super Bowl 42 champion. When this happened, you talked about it on the fan. They knock off the mighty Patriots 17 to 14. When New York sports happens, talk about it here. The Fan, 1019 FM, and always live on the free Odyssey app. All right, three hours down, two more to go on our five-hour midnight ride. I can't even do that today. The warm-up show will come your way at 5 o'clock, but I got you till then, 877-337-6666. Hit on pretty much all the topics so far, but it's Giants and Jets week. That's the main topic as we head into this really season-defining game for both teams. I mean... For the Giants, I think it's time to give up on the year, quite honestly, if they lose the game. If they lose the game, I'm looking to trade. I'm looking to move Saquon Barkley. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I think that's what you should do. I don't think 2-6 and is a plausible thing to recover from. And ultimately, I think you get some... If you can get a decent draft pick for a guy that you probably will franchise tag anyway, you're not going to give him a long-term deal... And now I'm expected, okay, well, I'm going to take this season that I already deemed dead eight weeks in. Suddenly next year I'm going to be a Super Bowl contender. Like I just, I mean, things happen quickly in the NFL. It's never impossible, but I would much rather trade him and get some draft equity than play it out because you know you're not going to give him a contract. So that's where the Giants are. I mean, this is literally the season's on the line. And for the Jets, it's about who they are and what they can be. And if they're the team that can't solidify a win against Philadelphia, one of the best wins in the NFL this season, and one of the more surprising wins in the NFL this season, and a and a and a, a win that turned your whole season around and made you believe maybe you are different than when you thought, maybe this defense is special and more, and more like the '85 Bears than we wanted to give them credit. You can't turn around and then lose to a lousy Giants team that you just heard in the clip. You're not even sure the quarterback's playing. And for Daniel Jones, I mean, hopefully he plays. I I told you I think he should be the guy. I don't think there's a controversy here, but there's no doubt that the backup has come in and Taylor and made the offense look better. Now, part of it is Barkley is back. Part of it is the offensive line got Pew and Trey Phillips last week. And it, you know, it's 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 solidified a little bit. They they played better than the guys they were replacing, unfortunately. I mean, I know uh, it ended up being Pewitt left tackle. He's not better than Andrew Thomas, but he's been better than the guys who were in there while Andrew Thomas is out, and hopefully he comes back. So it would put Daniel Jones in a better position than what he was prior to getting the injury, but also against a damn good team and against a, a defensive front here in the Jets that can get after the quarterback without blitzing. Uh, we don't know if uh, – I, I haven't heard if Reed or Sauce are going to play. Hopefully they will. And if you're going to go up against this defense, I don't care if you got Saquon Barkley, I don't care if you got the offensive line playing better, this is a tough spot for Daniel Jones if he plays. Because if he plays and he goes against this Jet team and it doesn't look good, and it doesn't look as good as it did against Washington, I mean, then the clamoring really begins. You think just Tyrod Taylor playing okay while Daniel Jones has been hurt is a problem? Wait until you've seen Tyrod Taylor play better than Daniel Jones, and then Daniel Jones comes comes back and reinforces that thought. Then you have a real question. And especially at 2-6, and 
and possibly still a neck injury lingering, which might be the talk after a bad game, especially if he gets hit a lot. This whole thing could look a whole lot different for the New York Giants. This is a huge game. It's amazing that it's come down to this, but, I mean, the Giants' season is on the brink, and the Jets are trying to prove that they're a legitimately good football team, and I think they have to win this football game to do that. Now, it doesn't automatically. They win this game, they beat the lousy Giants, the defense stands on its head, and they beat the Giants, you know, 14-3 to or something, and the offense still looks lousy, and Zach Wilson does nothing to make you feel any better about him then I'm not suddenly declaring the Jets some sort of playoff contender necessarily off of one win, but I think a loss puts them in the pretender category. I think the loss really takes a big, uh, you know, a lot of air out of the balloon that was blown up in that win against Philadelphia. I really do. It's, you know, you follow that up with a bad loss to the the worst offense in football to the Jets, uh, to the Giants, and suddenly it's like, well, okay, you figured out a way to beat Buffalo, and then you stunk for two weeks. And then you figured out a way to beat Philadelphia, and now you can't get past the Giants. Like, that's who you are. You're a lousy team that every once in a while will play a good enough game and the defense will win you a game. But ultimately, when, you, when it comes down to it and rubber meets the road, you're not anything you can trust. And right now, I don't care. And I'm, you know, I keep going back and forth, my, uh, you know, a good friend of mine who's constantly on my Twitter is, you know, think, can't understand why I feel this way about Daniel Jones. I mean, about Zach Wilson. I don't understand how anybody can feel differently. The guy's done absolutely nothing other than not lose games. Right? That's his best. That's his best quality. Three back shoulder throws against Kansas City and not losing. That's great. Whoop de doo. But this game is going to answer some questions. It's going to answer uh, whether or not. The Giants are are trade um, candidates at the deadline. And for the Jets, it's going to answer, what can we expect from them moving forward? Steve, and on the turnpike, what's up, Steve? Hey, am I correct that last year was the same problem Daniel Jones had with the offensive line midseason? And then towards the end, they started changing things up, rolling them out a little bit, and it made a difference. And that's when they went on that good run. And this year, they tried to make them traditional again. And he got his head beat in, and now they're different plays with Tyrod Taylor. They're running him out and doing different things. That's why he looks so well. Yeah, no, you are mistaken. No, the the Giants started winning right away last year. Their best uh, their best stretch of football was right out the gate. Um, and I don't remember the offensive line being this much of a talking point. They never looked like they did in this year's Dallas game or this year's um, Dolphins game or Seahawks game. They never looked that bad. Uh, last year as they've done this year. And, yeah, some of it was RPOs and some of it was different play calling and some of it was coaching decisions and stuff. But, no, I don't think there was ever a point where it was like suddenly, oh, Daniel Jones is terrible. Oh, look, we've unlocked Daniel Jones by doing this, that, or the other. No, I don't I don't remember that last year. Maybe a little bit two years ago where they were awful under judges last year and then – you know, or no, three years ago, should I say, Judge's first year. But no, not last year, no. All right, he just hung up. He didn't want to have the conversation. No, you're incorrect. I don't ever remember Daniel Jones being bad at the start of the year and then suddenly the Giants unlocking something with Daniel Jones. No, he had a terrible first interception in the end zone against Tennessee and then um, Dable got in his face and he stopped throwing picks. But no, they started off the year rattling off wins. 
They were playing their best. They, they had a stretch after uh, starting off to uh, getting off to a great start in the regular season, and then went through a lull against the uh, against Seattle, against uh, Detroit, and then they figured out a way to beat. Washington in prime time and stabilized their season. So there was never a moment like this where Daniel Jones was terrible and suddenly it's like, move him outside the pocket. No. I don't remember that. No. I remember a lot of winning and then some losing and then winning again, winning a playoff game, and then getting beat by Philadelphia like we do every single time we play them. That's what I remember. And I remember Daniel Jones being okay. Up until the last game of the season when he put 30 up against the Colts, they had not put up 30 since two years prior. Like the year before last year, they didn't put up 30 in any game. And the year before that, they put up 30 against the Cowboys in week five. That was it. They hadn't scored 30 points in forever. They scored 30 points against the Colts in the last game of the year. And then they scored 30 points and beat Minnesota. In the playoffs, and they got embarrassed by Philadelphia. And Daniel Jones played his two best games of the year in those two weeks. So he came on strong at the end of the year. Daniel Jones specifically, that's fine. Yeah, and the offense got better for the last game of the year and then the playoff game. But no, this is not the same sort of template. This season has not gone anywhere near the same as last year. Last year and this year were completely different. Completely different. And Tyrod Taylor is doing more than just moving outside the pocket. Taylor's getting rid of the ball quickly, and Taylor is trusting his teammates. That's what Daniel Jones wasn't doing, especially with Hyatt. Tyrod Taylor has a hard and fast rule. He talked about it in the postgame after beating Washington. If he see, he knows Hyatt's the fastest guy on the field, and if he sees Hyatt one-on-one, he's going to throw him the football. Plain and simple. I don't care, you know, why two banana, doesn't matter what the play is. It doesn't matter what the play is. If he sees Hyatt one-on-one on the outside, he is going to let Hyatt run down the field, and he's going to throw him the ball, and hopefully he makes a play, which we saw him do twice in the game against Washington. That is not something Daniel Jones has done. Daniel Jones hasn't just said, hey, here's here's my guy up against their guy. Let's, let's give him the ball and make him make a play. And he hasn't been gotten. He he didn't get the ball out as quickly as as Tyrod Taylor has done, and he hasn't avoided the rush with as much calm and coolness. Like Tyrod Taylor has gotten sacked. Tyrod Taylor has had to run from the rush. Tyrod Taylor looks like a quarterback avoiding the rush. Daniel Jones looks like a man running for his life, and I think that's partially on Daniel Jones. Dominic in North Carolina. What's up, Dom? Yeah. Good morning, Chris. Great show. Thank you very much. Good morning to you, sir. I have two questions for you. Number one. Number one. And they both relate to your baseball. I'm glad to hear you talking about baseball. I love um, baseball. I know you do. Mm-hmm. And you're like the only one left in New York. But anyway. Wow. Uh, that makes uh, me sad. Does, uh, does, does, the, well, does what the Diamondbacks was it, does, does what the Diamondbacks were able to accomplish make you question the Mets' decision to break everything down more is my first mm, question. Okay. And number two. Number two. Number two. <laughs> number two, yeah. You're very funny. Uh, when, when, when is starting pitching going to be start being properly valued in MLB? I mean, they got all these analytics. Oh. They got all these numbers crunchers. And they need to pay the starters like uh, running backs. If, if, if anything ever improved it, then it was this postseason. And uh, when, when is that going to happen? 
Oh, I see. I, I, I disagree with what you just said, though. Um, so you mean pay them like running backs, meaning they're not well, they're not valuable. Say, meaning to say they're not forty five million dollar valuable. Well, I mean, meaning well, I mean, meaning that, that, that you get that's only a handful of pitchers who are Hall of Fame guys at the end of their career on short term deals that get that much money for one year. But yeah, I hear what you're saying. But I disagree with you on what the playoffs have proven. I think starting pitching is. I think over the 162, you can get away with with poor starting pitching. I think the Baltimore Orioles proved that. The Baltimore Orioles won 100 games with really subpar starting pitching, got into the postseason, and got absolutely you know bombarded by the Texas Rangers. But in a in a short playoff series, I think you're seeing that starting pitching is more valuable in the playoffs than it is over the course of the regular season, without doubt. I mean, you need good starting yeah. pitching to get through these games. Look at we're all, as Yankee fans, all we're doing is talking about Montgomery. We're talking about Nathan Avaldi. I mean, those guys are a huge part of why the the Texas Rangers got past Houston. I guess I'm looking at what the Diamondbacks did, where they basically made a bullpen out of nothing in August yeah. and rode that strong bullpen to the pennant. No doubt. Which brings me back to my first question: Does it make you question what the Mets did more if you can get all the way to the World Series with 84 wins? Do you think there's ever a justification in today's baseball to break it down as dramatically as the Mets did? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, I do think they were in such a predicament with the record that it probably was a good decision. Uh, I don't think. I, I also don't think the guy they traded helped them. Like, yeah, Robertson helped them, but I mean, Scherzer made eight starts for Texas and he had like a three eight ERA, if I remember correctly, something along those lines. It was just under four. That's a serviceable pitcher. It's a good, solid starting pitcher. It's not great. It's not. It's not forty-five million dollars to quote you. It's not forty-five million dollars worth of a starting pitcher, but it's a good, solid starting pitcher that probably would help them. But I mean, Verlander definitely would help them. But if your point is, and I didn't want to trade, I wanted to continue to chase it. Totally, I thought they did it too early. But if your point is. When you're the New York Mets, when you're the New York Yankees, when you're the Dodgers, when you're the, you know, Padres, I guess now because they spend money, but they're not a, not the same kind of thing. They don't feel like a winner. Although, let's be fair about the Mets, it's one year, but still, we know with with, with Steve at the helm what they're going to be capable of. But if you're the Mets, if you're the Red Sox, if you're the Yankees, if you're one of these teams that have aspirations for winning, can you know make tons of money, valuable franchises? Is it ever worth selling at the deadline? I I, I think that's a valid point, especially now when all you have to do is possibly win eighty four, eighty five games. Yeah, I because you can't tell me like to, I totally agree with you. If this Met team with David Robertson at the back end of the bullpen with Scherzer and and Verlander and Kodai Sanga at the top of the rotation, the middle of the lineup, Lindor, uh, Alonzo, the entire team, if they got into a short series, who couldn't they beat? I totally agree with you. Who couldn't the Mets beat? They could lose to anyone, sure. But who couldn't they beat? Now, Mets fans are going to tell me they can't beat Atlanta. Mets fans are going to tell you they can't, they can't beat Philadelphia. Maybe some, certainly Atlanta. You don't know that. And we're learning that more and more. You don't know that. And 
And some, and you know, it's funny because it's a double-edged sword as a Yankee fan. Because I do think the Yankees are right in some aspects with this, but at the same time, I hope that they don't use this as an excuse not to go spend money and not to go do what they can to become the best team in the American League. That should still be their strike. Like, I remember when the season ended and you heard the, the uh, general manager of the Seattle Mariners, and he talked about the idea of, hey, we're not really building to win the World Series. Like, there's, there's no way to build for that. And I agree with him uh, that there's no way to build for it, not that you shouldn't be trying to. But we're not really trying to win the World Series. We're trying to be a winning franchise that wins, whatever he said, 65% of the games. That's usually good enough to get you in the postseason. And then from there, you hope you get hot. Like, that's pretty much what he said. He said, listen, I'm not trying to, I'm not going to go out there and make every move and try and spend, you know, try and get Otani here or try and get Juan Soto here or go spend crazy money to bring in the one guy who makes us as good as humanly possible or as good as we can be, or as, great, as good as free agency allows us. No, no. We're trying to stabilize a franchise and consistently win 65% of our games that always gives us a chance. That, In other words, he's saying we want to be the Yankees. The Yankee fans think, who the hell would want to be the Yankees? He's saying, I want to be Brian Cashman. And at Yankee fans are saying, well, why the hell, why, why hasn't Brian Cashman lost his job yet? I mean, that's where the disconnect between the fan base and the sport is. You have a GM who had a promising team who won 88 games but didn't make it to the postseason, and then in his postgame press conference tells you, I really wish I were Brian Cashman. And the Yankee fans are thinking Brian Cashman's the worst GM in baseball when you have other general managers aspiring to be him. Again, neither here nor there. I'm not saying Brian Cashman's right or wrong. I want Brian Cashman fired. I'm just saying that's where base, baseball thinks that way. And I thought that was the most ridiculous press conference I've ever heard from the guy in Seattle. I forget his name. Jerry De, uh, DePoto. I knew it was uh, Jerry DePoto. I mean, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard to not aspire to win a championship and you're looking to just do enough to get in. Like, that shouldn't be anyone's thought process. But it is. And you see why. Because the Arizona Diamondbacks are the living, breathing, breathing proof of why you just want to get in and see how it goes. Now, I don't think the Diamondbacks on a year like if you get if the Diamondbacks do that and win 85 games and make it to the postseason over the next 6 years, I bet you they don't get out of the ALDS any of those next 5 years. This year they figured it out. Like that's how it goes. So, as much as I agree with that sentiment in many ways, I really hope that Hal Steinbrenner doesn't use this as an excuse. Now, I never expect them to spend Steve Cohen money or spend half a billion dollars. Like I think there'll be a limit always because ultimately you don't need to spend $300 million, $400 million to win a World Series. You don't. You don't have to spend that much money to be the best team. You don't. Now, the Yankees might be in a, a predicament at the moment considering what Stanton makes and some of the money if, if Rodon's useless. like They might be in a predicament where for this year and the next couple of years they have to be. And he has to spend big-time money if they want to be that. But rule of thumb in, in generalities over Hal Steinbrenner's tenure as Yankee owner, and hopefully that's a long time, 
he shouldn't have to constantly be spending $400 million to build a team. Now, he should always be, considering how much money the Yankees make, at the top end of the payroll. He should be top three in payroll every single year, no, barring no exception. But he shouldn't if 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 the you know other owners come in who are like Steve Cohen or Steve Cohen, like you don't have to just spend endlessly. And you're seeing that. And sometimes it's not even the best way to go about it because if you ever are wrong on something, now it really screws you. But I think the Yankees are in a particular position right now. We're just to appease the fan base, and considering where they are, they do need to spend big, and this should be a big offseason for them. And I'm really hoping that despite the fact of them having a little bit more um, you know, validation to some of their thought processes about the crapshoot, they need to get away from that. And they need to realize that, sure, that some of that is truthful, but at the same time, how many years do we have to enter the crapshoot and not come through the other side for us to realize however we're doing it is not right. Like, however we're entering the crapshoot, crapshoot as it may be, however we're entering that crapshoot, we're not being able to put our best foot forward in that crapshoot. And why? Year after year, why? So those are questions that still need to be asked. It sounds like the, the uh, that Steinbrenner's asking it. I mean, is he ever going to have this press conference? I read the story from Clappish or whatever. He's in the coming days. Like, when are we going to have this press conference how? Wake up. Charlie in Greenwich. What's up, Charlie? Hey, Chris. I really enjoy the show. How you doing, buddy? Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. How are you? All righty. I want to just get my take then. on what I think of, like, how the number ones all got knocked out this year and then see what you have to say. Mm -hmm. Your L.A. Dodgers of the world, your Atlanta Braves, and uh, the Rays. Now, my nephew plays ball. I got drafted in 2016. He's in an affiliate for... Uh, San Diego Padres AAA team. I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. What I really think, Chris, and here's what I want you to tell me with you, what you think. Mm -hmm. When you get up to this level now and you're expected to win, and say you got a week off to think about it, how good you are, you see it on TV, what the sports lines are, and then you're supposed to win. Now, opposed to that, when you have the proverbial house money, I think it is whoever plays the loosest. This is a game. I know the talent. My nephew was drafted. He plays for the Chihuahuas. They're the triple A team for the San Diego Padres. He was uh, traded for Eric Hosmer. Really? And I know athletes. And what I'm saying is that whoever plays loose, you got to remember, true, there's a lot at stake, fame and fortune. Mm -hmm. I just believe that whoever plays and keeps it into context, it's a game. It's meant to have fun. When you're worried about what you look like or if you want to perform, I think that pressure actually hurts these teams. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't, um, I, it's, it's hard to completely disagree with that. Uh, right, it, it, and now... Yeah, if I don't, like I'm saying, I've been around baseball a long time. Yeah. My nephew was drafted 2016. Yeah, He's gotcha. supposed to go first overall. When they asked the people that were the commentators for the draft, what was your overall tech of the draft? They said, well, I was surprised that Jay Groom went number 12 to Boston when he was projected to go number one. He had a plus fastball, all the people that do the ratings, um, pipeline, and so on and so have you. Okay. He would wind up having Tommy John, then he had COVID. Long story short, why my nephew's still in AAA, I told him, you got 95 in your arm. If you gave that to me, I'm 51 years old. I would be a great pitcher today because I am a little wiser. I said, if you gave it to me when I was 25, 
I would be narcissistic. Think what it's trending on Twitter about me, how I look with my bun or long hair. <laughs> and those things, when you try to be perfect, in essence, I'm saying against house money, then you got the athlete that's got the house money kind of attitude, just going to play loose. And that's when I think athletes reach their ceiling. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I, you, some of the things you said in there are a bit convoluted and not exactly accurate or fair, not 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 to your nephew's point. Um, but your overall arcing theme of it's good to play loose and that there are pressures that can build up on a team, I mean, I obviously, I don't think there's any doubt to the idea that Philadelphia felt the pressure of having to come home and win that series, a series they had to win. And specifically this game seven, they had to win this game. It's an absolute choke job that they lost this game. They are going to go down. I mean, it's one of the bigger upsets in in, in recent memory in baseball, especially up 3-2 heading back home. They were viewed as a much better team and a team that looked like they were perfectly built to withstand all the stuff you're talking about, the pressures and and what what you know comes in the postseason, Bryce Harper. Someone says, you know, one of the, the Atlanta Braves, RCS, says something about him. Boom. Two home runs and staring him down. Like, that's he's perfect for this. He's built for this. And suddenly they just collapsed. So, yeah, I mean, and just couldn't hit. Scored three runs in the last two games at home after looking like a dominant force, like an unbreakable force in that building. So, yeah, I mean... Is is what you're talking about fair? Yeah, and I think the Yankees have something. I mean, I think there is something to the idea of of players performing in New York. It's an added element that Brian Cashman and now Stearns, but specifically for the Yankee pinstripes, let's just be fair about it. Like that idea, you you have to find out. You have to do more than other teams do on due diligence on whether or not they can handle the type of pressure that comes with being a Yankee. Sometimes it, you you hear that, oh, he'll be perfect for it, and he's not. Some guys you hear it'll be a problem, and it isn't. And then sometimes you hear, like, I remember Joey Gallo. The word was he's not going to be a good fit in New York. Right? Before he even stepped foot in it, he was having an all-star caliber season. He was hitting. He was on pace for 50 home runs when he got traded here. He was having a very good season for Texas. But immediately, before he even got here, you did hear some grumblings that they didn't think Joey Gallo would be a good fit for New York. And they were right. They were 100% right. But that's something that Brian Cashman has to deal with that other people don't have to deal with. That's just a tough thing to try and figure out. So do I think that the idea of the Atlanta Braves sitting thinking, oh, my God, we're the best team in baseball. We can't lose this series. We're the best team in baseball. It would be so embarrassing if we lost. And the weighted element to that once a series starts to turn the other way, sure. Sure. There's something to that. But at the same time, there are plenty of guys who overcome pressure, thrive on pressure, and play great. And that's when you get special players. And special groups like the late 90s Yankees, like these Houston Astros, that for whatever reason, it's been different general managers, it's been different managers, it's been different players. You know, they lose Springer, they they get Tucker. They lose Correa, they get Pena, who had a terrible series, but was the ALCS and, and World Series MVP last year. They've had guys who, you know, they had Alvarez, who's an absolute superstar. Like, they have these guys who perform in the postseason and avoid the pressure and and don't let it bother them and that's part of being great and that's part of what you need to win so yeah of course you're right but 
Do I think that's explained some of the reasons why baseball has changed because young kids worry about social media? I don't, I don't think the pressure is, oh, my God, I'm going to get killed on Twitter. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm misreading that. Maybe it is. But I think it's more of just, my God, we have to win this game. For We're expected to win. Not necessarily I'm going to get killed on Twitter. I'm going to get killed in the papers. That's always been the case. Killed in the media. Killed by the fan base. And just overall feel like I blew an opportunity to go win. I mean, yeah, that pressure builds, and they have to deal with that. But overcoming that pressure is what makes players great, and that pressure has always existed, not just with you know millennials or Generation Z kids who are dealing with social media. The pressure has always been there, and dealing with it is professional sports. So I agree with what a lot of you what you're saying, but I also don't think it's something novel. That explains why we're seeing more and more upsets and more and more crapshoot when it comes to not just Major League Baseball playoffs, but all playoffs. Your official station to talk Jets. The Fan, 1019 FM and always live on the free Odyssey app. Download it today. We got no voice today. 338. McMonagle here with you. 877-337-6666. So it sounds like Jim Harbaugh will probably be coaching in the NFL next year. I think he's going to have to get out of Michigan as this thing is really starting to pick up uh, some steam. We really haven't talked about it too much here, but I mean, a Michigan staffer named Connor Stallions, was buying tickets right behind the bench of the opposing team for more than 30 games at 11 Big Ten schools over the past three years. And apparently they have video evidence uh, of him relaying signs and uh, taping signs on the sideline. And, I mean, all the big games, Ohio State, Penn State, Apparently the one game they they he wasn't at was TCU and they lost that game. But this is this is literally about to become the biggest cheating scandal in college football possibly history. I mean this is it's Michigan, it's Jim Harbaugh. And you know what'll happen? Like I I mean Jim Harbaugh will find a way out and he'll go play for he'll go figure out a way to coach in the NFL. Like Pete Carroll. Now, this is not the the same thing as you know some money violations and putting you know money in your old world running back's pocket or whatever. I mean, this is this is the fundamental of sport having it being on a fair play, you know, uh, on the up and up and on the level. And they had thirty different games. And now you said, Fleegs, I'm sorry to interrupt you. You were saying. You've seen the evidence, or they, they're talking about they have videos of him relaying signs? There's some going along on Twitter. You can see the guy, Connor Scallions, yeah. on the sideline, and he wasn't like in an official capacity the entire time he's been at Michigan, right? where, you know, there's, an say, an audible on the field, and he's standing next to the defensive coordinator. He then sees the signal, says something to the coordinator, and all of a sudden, the and you watch, all they have these 20,000 assistants are all holding up sure. signs or whatever. They then signal to the players, 
because now they know right. what adjustment was made or what play was called. Yeah, I mean that is, and you know it's it's like you mentioned. It, it, it seems so the like players they have are going to suffer from it, but it, the players might not even be aware of it. No, like the players might just think our coaching staff is on really top good. of stuff and pick yeah. something up. Yeah. It seems like, you know, the way we all know how the Astro stuff happened, John Boy, like it feels like the Twitter sleuths and what also they're piecing together yeah. with the guy's history of buying the tickets, yeah. that they're going to have them pretty much dead to rights. I know. It's it's amazing that you think you could get away with it in today's day and age when everything is so... I mean, you're buying all these tickets. You know that you're going to be on camera. At some point, someone's going to have you somewhere on camera. Like you're literally recording signs and relaying it to the bench. I mean, that's... I mean, this is the question's going to be, you know, how much? Like, are they able to protect Harbaugh? Because I saw one report, uh, you know, like apparently the guy wasn't in communication with Jim Harbaugh. Right? How no, much they, did they he know? Does he get punished? From it? Yeah. You know, like Sean Payton wasn't the ringleader of Bounty Gate, but he Correct. was involved. When you're Correct. the head coach, you're the head coach, especially in college, not NFL, but college, you are the head of a program. No doubt, that's on you. You run. You run the universe. They don't. I, I'm sorry. I, it's it's to the point where, especially Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, those code whoever's doing it, they don't feel like it's if they get the sense that it's unacceptable, he they wouldn't even try it. Like it's 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 one of those things where, like okay, maybe he's not doing it, but there's no way a he's completely unaware of it, or b he hasn't he hasn't created the kind of atmosphere where they feel it's okay to attempt to try and right. push the Even envelope. if he's not the one that came up with the yeah. idea or no somebody didn't pitch it. Like, there's no, Jim Harbaugh is not naive enough to think, wow, like my I, I trust my coordinators and my staff, but it is amazing how on top of yeah. this other team's plays that they are consistently. Right. No. I mean, that's the other thing, too. Like, you know, you start to – the other teams would start to pick, on, pick this stuff up. I'm sure that's how it – they started to get bagged for it, right? I would. Well, think. that's uh, one of the reports said. Like a lot, there somebody blew the whistle, but a yeah. lot of these teams have had suspicions, and now right. that they're all kind of piecing it together, yeah, there are a lot of teams involved here that have smelled something Amazing. fishy going on, and now are have proof. Amazing. Like Amazing. this, I mean, this is going to be huge. Like you said, biggest yeah. college sports cheating scandal in a while, and yeah. because of how it's breaking down, it's going to be very similar in some ways to the Astro scandal. Yeah. A lot of this is playing out online. Yeah. Interesting. And I'm just, you're right. Like, I'm curious because it always just seems like the cliche thing to say is, oh, school's going to be in trouble plus a big-name coach like this. He'll be in the NFL next year, and he'll get out of it, and he'll he'll right. leave Pete Michigan. Carroll, even trouble in, at right. USC. That's He's going back yeah, to just, And this isn't the same as putting money in, you know, having your running back drive a car. Like, this is, the, the game needs to be on the level. Right there, like, there was some college stuff that we all were like roll our eyes, like you know, it's yeah. stupid that this is. A, yeah. This one is pretty. No, I mean guys would get banged for like, There's no gray area here. You're cheating. Giving a kid a thousand dollars to go home and bury his parents or something like it's just terrible. Like it was ridiculous. Some of the fines, like this is, or I mean, I, that's a, an extreme example I gave you, but that you would get in trouble for things like that, making sure a kid could eat, making like giving money. Right, you would get in trouble to, for giving them five bucks. Hey, go to McDonald's and grab right. a burger. Yeah, exactly. And now that's not what happened in USC. They, they were getting paid to, you know, win Heisman trophies. But yeah, this is this is the fundamental of sport. I mean, this is yeah. So I mean, I'm curious, what would be the sanctions? Do, do, do are they able to uh, isolate Harbaugh? And then a guy who's already tried to dip his toes back in the NFL game, what two out of the last three or four years? I mean. I would think that that's probably what's going to end up happening. He's going to be in the NFL next year. And the question and is, hire there him. will no be one, one or two. No one will care. Again, I'm sorry. 
like there, there will be a couple teams that maybe say we don't want this. Most NFL teams that would have had interest oh. in Harbaugh already, they still will. Oh, not a doubt in my mind. There's not a. I don't think there's one. I think anyone who was willing to hire him would still hire him and just say, you know, hell right. If the no. ones that don't want to hire him, it's for whatever reasons existed before this. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. So we'll keep our eye on that story as it starts to play out. Mike in New Rochelle. What's up, Mike? Hey, good morning, Chris. How are we doing, brother? Good morning, man. How are you? Uh, hanging in there, man. Another long shift last night, man. But uh, I know I you're a Yankee you. fan. I know you're a Yankee fan. I am a Yankee I know you're fan. A, I know you're a Giant fan. God bless you. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, I know you're going into your inaugural winter sports season here. Yes, this your is first, my first. You know, this will be my first basketball and hockey season. So I don't know how. I haven't read you yet about Knicks, if you're a Nick or Nets fan. Or a Ranger fan, Devil fan, or Islander fan. I'm a but, um, I'm a Knicks. I'm a Nick and Ranger fan. Wow. So we're only off with the Yankees and the Mets. That's that's a beautiful thing, man. But uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I wanted to say uh, amazing. I know you... Knicks and Rangers. I'm 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 an oddball. It might, no, it's very surprising to be a, a Nick and Ranger fan in this town. Well, that's a beautiful thing, but um. What I'm trying to say is, up the sarcasm. I think right, they could have put something together. They they could have got something to enhance this team a little bit more than uh, you know, DiVincenzo uh, yeah, and that's the other much, guy. Yeah, no, that's pretty much the. You know, they didn't do much uh, to Nothing improve this much. team. Well, listen, there because there's really they're waiting for the big move. They're poised and perched, waiting for the big move. And Embiid. Embiid. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the situation there. I don't know. It sounds like Leon Rose wants him bad. I don't know if I believe the reports on who they'd be willing to give up. I don't know what um, Philadelphia would want. But if if Embiid ever did demand a trade, you know that's how it works in the NFL. You need it's well, on Embiid be, now. He's got to he's got to hold his good. breath and stomp his feet, and he's got to get him. He's got to get himself out of there. Um, but I think a lot of people you'd be surprised. Like I. I don't, how do you feel about it? Because I think a lot of people wouldn't want that. Um, I would, I would love it. Um, but I, even without the big thing, I still think they could have gotten. Uh, I think they gave away Toppin. Uh, you're going to see it. Yeah, this I mean, gonna, this kid's going to average twenty and ten. We'll see. Like it's like water. Um, yeah, but I, mean, we'll see. I think we could have got a Zach Levine for a Toppin and a couple of picks. Uh, you know, Zach Levine would be beautiful with uh, you know, with the team that they have now. Yeah, you know, I know, you but, the, have to but give up here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, you know. though. I, I I like Zach Levine. Does Zach Levine put them over the top? And if not, it's are you an really? Upgrade. It's an upgrade. But then, what picks yeah. are you giving away? And now that hurts your ability to go get the big guy. To go get the guy who does put you over the top. Like that's what the that's the game they're playing. That fine line of yeah, you want to win, but you also understand that they're not going to win until they get a superstar. So do you want to add low level yeah. superstars to just be better? I mean you're you're you have an argument because hey the yeah, right. the Heat were in the finals, there's no doubt about it. Excuse me, I'm having a rough couple of days. Um <laughs> just, I was like, oh man, I was about to call 911. I'm just having a I'm having a rough couple of days here, but I'll get through it. Um Ajita. No, it's not Ajita, it's just the, my it doesn't matter. Um Okay. My yeah, my I'm just having a little bit of a chest cold. Um the I'm, I'm a little verklempt. I'm verklempt. Um, the the problem is, is yeah. Once you do that Levine move, all right, it gets you to what fifty wins. Does it get you to a championship? I don't know. And and no. if not, then then you're you're taking assets you have 
towards getting an Embiid, towards getting uh, Spider Mitchell, and towards getting uh, Luka Doncic, or I don't know, whoever whoever somehow becomes available. Obviously, maybe had hopes of Giannis, but obviously now that seems less likely. I don't even know if the contract matters. I know he signs the contract. If he wants out, he'll get out. Like It shows that they at least appeased them and made him somewhat pleased with the trade. Um, but I don't think that contract like now solidifies the idea he'll never leave Milwaukee or, you know, if he wants out, he wants out. So I don't think there are any, it was more the trade than the contract where you feel like now Giannis is a pipe dream. So I don't know. That's, that's why part of it. Like, I don't, I don't know if I love Embiid. Like we've seen him in the postseason. It's not been great. Um, we understand his injury load management, just, I don't know. He's a great player. He's a great defender. He's obviously a terrific, terrific player, MVP, terrific player. But I don't know if he's the perfect fit. But having said that, I can't just keep holding all my – I can't just keep holding my money watching every ice cream truck go by hoping for a Choco Taco. You know what I'm saying? I love Choco Tacos. I think they got rid of Choco Tacos. That, that, that's crazy. I'm sorry, but I, 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 if you, if you, if an ice cream truck shows up and it doesn't have a choco taco on it, why, why, why even show up? Why, what are you doing? But apparently they got they discontinued. I, I must be the only one who feels that way. But you know, you know, I, I just I can't keep hanging on to these assets and keep hanging on to the hopes of getting just the perfect guy who fits the team, just great. Like at some point, if a superstar becomes available, you got to pull the trigger. You got to pull the trigger. Zach in Apakong. What's up, Zach? Hey, how you doing, Chris? I'm doing all right, Zach. How are you doing, bud? I'm all right. just wanted to comment on that Michigan scandal you were just talking about. Yeah. So, from everything that I've seen, admittedly, I'm a big Michigan fan. So, mm-hmm. I understand it's going to sound a little okay. biased. Hey, it's okay. Um, you know, there's nothing that they're really going to do to Harbaugh, you know? Right. could escape to the NFL but it's going to be a slap on the wrist for the program at best. As long as this guy wasn't stupid enough to tie everything back to university funds or anything like that. Right. So if he's buying the tickets on his own, ultimately he's just, I mean, I I guess, I mean, so you you think it's a slap on, if they, if they have direct proof and evidence where it's unequivocal, they were taking signs and cheating on the field. You think it's a slap on the wrist? I don't think it's deserving of a slap on the wrist, but right. I don't think they're going to have the evidence that a lot of people think they have. All right, well, that's I think, uh, that's different. I but I'm saying if they know for it, sure, uh, if they know for sure signs were being stolen and relayed and they played their best games when this guy had 30 seats and then they were losing the TCU and he wasn't there and, like, all, all this stuff, like, it seems like if if the charge is and the proof is that they are stealing signs mid-game – to impact the outcome unfairly and having answers to things they shouldn't, like I would, th- I don't know what's worse. What's worse that you could do? It's impacting well, whether or not the team's on the level. Well, just to counterpoint, it's they're basically just scouting. You know, mm-hmm. every team can send people to other games to scout. The problem is the the one the rules they're going after is electronically recording. Right. So that's what they need to prove. Otherwise, it's just a fair, you know, hey, I got your signs. That's on you for not switching it up. 
Yeah, I, I understand that. But, yeah, if they have proof of him recording, though. Well, uh, from everything that I've seen, different stuff could come out. Okay. It, it hasn't been him they're recording it's been other people so they're trying hard to tie it all back to him and then the university which i think will be really hard for them to do i don't think anything is really going to happen to him i don't think they're going to have to vacate wins or anything like that whether that's right or wrong right okay um well well i guess we'll see when the evidence is presented and the and the facts are heard but i would th- i would just still think that harbaugh is going to leave because why why stay for the controversy and the the bylaws do say that the the coach is the head coach is responsible for any actions of anyone affiliated with the team. So he's going to, he's going to get sanctions. He something is going to happen if if unless they you're right unless they determine it wasn't they don't have the proof it's it's stealing signs on some level but not anything that you know is above you know really you know taking it past the a line of really crazy cheating the way we saw with the Astros, but it sure feels like that. It sure feels like that. And it sounds like they're going to have video evidence of him recording signs. And Mike is telling me, I got to look it up on during the break, there are already some videos being released on Twitter. So I don't know. I don't know. But to me, it sounds like if you're in the NFL, you better do a good job because there's going to be a new coaching candidate coming. 877 337 Sixty-six, sixty-six is what the guys do. They tuck their, uh, they tuck their tail between their legs. They say, "Hey, you know what? We all, you know, I, I should have seen it. It's my fault, but you know, I, I had nothing to do with it. But it's under my purview. I should have made sure everything was okay. And now let's take a picture with my new uniform and helmet. I can't wait to get started. That's usually how it works. 